This podcast is part of the Big Data Beards virtual race to Splunk.com. Be sure to tune in to all the racing action by visiting youtube.com forward slash Big Data Beard or simply visit BigDataBeard.com and click virtualracetoconf. You're listening to the Big Data Beard. Hi, everybody. This is Corey Minton, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kyle Prinz, for this edition of another uh, podcast as part of the virtual race Conf. And today we are excited to uh, to have had a race sponsored by our friends at Splunk. And many folks who know Splunk know Splunk as an awesome security platform. And why shouldn't we have a conversation about security in these times? And we've invited on Albert Bikini to talk to us about security. Albert, welcome to the uh, Big Data Beard podcast. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate the time. It's going to be a good Absolutely. conversation. I'm excited about it. Albert, do me a favor. Tell us a little bit about what you do at Splunk. Uh, so uh, I'm the, the, the leader uh, of the security business, uh, focusing on the go-to-market cross-functional activity that we drive here. And uh, uh, together with my counterpart who runs security products, we chart the course for the North Star for security uh, for our customers and our partners and our ecosystem. Uh, that's Very cool. Now, I, while this is a racing series that we're doing as this virtual race to, to dot conf, it is not F1, but I hear you're kind of a big F1 fan. Is that correct? I am. Uh, and actually, you know, for me growing up, uh, uh, I, I grew up in, in, in Kenya and South Africa and, uh, Formula One was one of those international events that, uh, just, yeah, I realized the whole world was watching every two weeks. And uh, it actually got me interested in physics and the sciences. You know, when I found out that, you know, a Formula One car could drive upside down, it, you know, it can move to 100 miles an hour and back to zero in four seconds. I mean, that kind of stuff just blew my mind. And uh, it just got me really interested in why people were so, so invested in being competitive at at a level where a couple of micro, you know, the microseconds mattered for everything that you were tuning. So it's just the awesome ultimate data nerd sport. It absolutely is. I totally agree. You know, it's funny you bring up that one about the car driving upside down. I heard a McLaren physicist talk about that. And you know what she told, you know what she said? It was actually, there's this series uh, I think it's uh, Dell Technologies actually sponsored the building of it. Uh, it's called Substitute Teacher, the McLaren Substitute Teacher. It's actually an awesome series that uh, my kids have actually watched uh, because it basically has somebody from the McLaren staff come on and talk about, you know, F1 racing uh, kind of things like whether it's, you know, physics of the car, engines, you know, uh, the racers, you know, nutrition to all kinds of things. Anyways, one of them they said was, you know, they always talk about that there is enough downforce physically created by the F1 car to drive upside down. But they said that the car doesn't drive upside down very well because it would lose oil pressure and fuel pressure. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Everything is, there is built to be optimized for just one type of motion. So oh, <laughs> it's not a trade-off that they designed for. Absolutely. It's wild. So I, I tell you what, in this world of, you know, in this world dealing with the pandemic, we've seen racing series, you know, go virtual. Our 
you know, our racing series leading up to dot conf is virtual conf is virtual. Uh, I, one of the things that I've seen happen is that, and I think most folks generally agree is that this pandemic has put a supercharger, <laughs> if we will, on the, on the need for digital transformations as organizations really try to figure out one, how to, you know, support a customer base that's having to deal with, you know, interacting with them, uh, during the pandemic, but also employees as they're going to this remote work context. So I'm curious from your perspective as, you know, leading security, how has this, you know, this pandemic accelerated digital transformation, how has that impacted uh, the security strategies that you're seeing organizations adopt around the world? Yeah, so it's a good question. And uh, the way to look at it is, you know, what changed? Uh, and two things changed. Working patterns changed uh, and buying patterns changed uh, and service patterns changed too. So when you look at uh, buying and service patterns, Things that customers expected to buy in person where the experience was physical suddenly became a distant experience. So you can imagine if you're an enterprise that was used to serving your customers a particular way, you had to figure out overnight how to quadruple or quintuple your ability to serve customers with a completely different interaction channel. And that interaction channel had a lot of virtual uh, uh, and data and compute to stand up to do that. Uh, and you're not necessarily going to have people on, on hand to build out that infrastructure for you. So the natural place to do that was going to be in the cloud. And you had to know your customers better because your transactions had to be, you know, kind of a full digital experience in order for it to be smooth. So if you look around, you'll see enterprises that thrived through it and enterprises that really struggled to become digital overnight in the way that they served customers and the way their, their service patterns drew. Uh, and that just creates a whole bunch of new security issues. Uh, people are standing up virtual stores or expanding the throughput of those virtual stores virtually overnight. Uh, the easy example I think that people really relate to was working from home. Uh, I think that uh, the more profound one from a B2C perspective was the change in buying and serving patterns because it just created enormous stress on all sorts of things, including how you deal with fraud analytics, how you deal with, you know, service uptime, how you monitor. And so Splunk, I think, has been extremely well positioned to help customers manage this uh, because it, it just had to happen overnight. There were conversations that, you know, maybe customers had had for years about the feasibility of doing something. And they had to make those decisions in in two, three days and move with it and then deal with the security consequences in the motion. <laughs> well, I mean, so you talk about buying, you know, usage patterns, buying patterns, employee work patterns. But one of the things that you kind of underpinned it with is that there's this concept that digital transformation, while cloud journey has been part of it, the cloud journey feels like it's been one of those that has been accelerated even more, as you said, right, where decisions are having to be made. But the reality is, is it's not one cloud, it's it's many clouds, right? And it's people having to deal with legacy investments in, you know, existing, you know, data centers. But I'm curious from your perspective, like, how is specifically on that cloud adoption journey, how are security teams, you know, interoperating with the IT teams? And how is that security strategy being challenged as we move up the cloud adoption journey? Yeah, so there's a couple of things that were already happening in security in terms of SOC transformation and modernization. Um, and so here I'm speaking specifically to the security operations process. 
One of them was that people were dealing with fragmentation of process and really trying to get to much more integrated detection, investigation, and response. Uh, the other thing that was happening was, uh, you know, folks were you know, trying to deal with tooling and get to much more uh, finely tuned uh, security operations platforms that simplify their workflow. Uh, in terms of transformation, the other trend that I think has been uh, developing and has really accelerated is the need to get to cloud literacy uh, from a security perspective. In other words, being able to understand the security characteristics of environments that are distributed, ephemeral, immutable, uh, understanding infrastructure as code and the ramifications of it. Uh, and so doing this uh, in an environment where digital, excel, di digital transformation went, three years of digital transformation happened in three to six months, uh, just has been very challenging for teams. And for a lot of organizations, they started off with tooling that was good enough. Uh, you know, in some cases, they were used to and are happy with sort of a one-hour polling of certain signals. Uh, and then they very quickly realized they really need to get to real-time. And real-time means understanding streams of data. It means being able to do very rapid correlation. It means being able to be easy. Uh, and for a lot of organizations, what that means is uh, you have to have something that simplifies that complexity across disparate environments because you're going to have everything. You're going to have things that are living in legacy that you're kind of optimizing and things that are all the way on the other end in microservices that you're managing. And if you if you don't have something that kind of can live across all of those, it, it's very challenging. So that's why I think we've been helpful. Interesting. Yeah, because I, when I look at the... And I'm not a I'm not a security pro by any stretch of the imagination, but if I think about just like the threat landscape of you know how you've exposed now you've got not just your data center, but you've got a cloud, you've got microservices, you've got APIs making calls between each to you know move data to make actions happen, it feels like that that uh, like that surface like the threat surface I think is the word for it or it feels like that's no longer human scale like there's it doesn't feel like that's a human scale problem. And I, and I feel like the answer these days, a lot of times is, you know, anytime something becomes a non-human scale issue, we have to apply, you know, machine learning at scale. So I'm curious from your perspective, like how is, how has machine learning advancements in the last few years, how has that helped or how has it made, uh, made that security posture uh, more tenable uh, in these non-human scale situations? Yeah, I think uh, you touch on a really important point. I think for a lot of organizations, the ability to move beyond human scale is directly related to some of the key outcomes that they're going to try to drive. And those outcomes are usually around lowering mean time to remediation. So now if you think about dwell time, meaning the time it takes to detect an adversary in your environment, uh, and then the time it takes from that detection to actually remediate it. Uh, the shorter the dwell time, the better. Uh, and that is really the thing that organizations are trying to focus on. And machine augmentation of all kinds, including what it takes to break down mundane tasks so that you have uh, machines doing it that can't be fatigued and can do it consistently uh, to the kind of correlations that you would need to do that look for very, very weak signals that are very, you know, that are indicative of something really important going on. 
uh, it's very, very difficult for humans to establish those patterns and understand baselines, particularly baselines that are moving in dynamic thresholds. Uh, and so, you know, machines are much better at doing that. But uh, for people to get value out of those investments, they need to really understand the problems that they're trying to solve. Are they trying to understand novel attacks? Uh, are they trying to understand uh, behaviors that are associated with identity that are anomalous? You know, it's just really important to understand the problems that you're trying to solve. And it's important to have a canvas that is flexible to work with and share and collaborate so that you get the best of teams rather than just the best of a small group of individuals solving problems. And so I think that's where uh, Splunk has, uh, you know, really uh, across the, the gamut of our solutions, whether it be in our security orchestration and automation suite, uh, our behavioral analytics suite in, in security, uh, we, we've really focused on making sure that people have the right machine augmentation uh, to help them drive uh, the right security outcomes. Yeah, I completely agree. And it, it, it seems to be a bit as well that digital transformation is not only a technological transformation, but it's also a societal transformation as well. And I've read that Splunk refers to this as a dawning of the data age. Can you share a little bit around what that means exactly? Yeah, I mean, so we're living in a time when information and data is really going to be what makes a difference for almost everything that you do. Uh, and for us, this is, uh, this is something that we, you know, we're completely clear about in terms of the fact that uh, data really is everything. Almost every organization is a data organization. If you, don't, uh, if you can't harness the value of data to solve problems, then you can't solve problems because most problems require you to bring data to solve. Uh, and they're doing this in, you're going to be doing this in an environment where uh, a lot of the information that you have in your environment is actually untapped and not useful to you. Uh, and so I think the biggest impact to organizations, uh, you know, comes from a lot of big emerging technologies, everything from IT, IoT, blockchain, edge computing, uh, 5G networking. All of these things are actually mega trends in and of themselves in terms of how it is that they're going to drive the usefulness of data. And over the last 20 years, we've become accustomed to data at our fingertips that is just unimaginable even for, and I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just in my 40s, but I, I can just imagine, you know, when I was a kid, the, the notion that I could ask any question and get any answer to a very precise set of facts just, just did not exist. We have access to information today that presidents of the United States wouldn't have at their fingertips without a vast team of analysts just you know two generations ago. Um, so this is this is really important as a transforming experience for folks, and we just have to get comfortable with what this disruption of data is going to do to us and and harness it, r ride the tiger, rather than uh, uh, than lose to it. Absolutely. So I'm curious when you talked about. Um you know, there's solving specific business problems or security problems, whether, like you said, it's novel attacks. I'm curious, are you seeing like a, a big trend one way or the other in, in what's happened in, as people have started to work from home or, you know, as, as the, you know, the economy has been impacted by the pandemic? Is there a specific type, you know, of attacks and sort of the 
that that vector that you're starting to see is there one trending worse because of the current uh, current environment uh i'll just say the 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 biggest trend that we see uh and this will you know the biggest the biggest trend we see is that exploiting the weakest link just gets easier when people are not inside protected network environments where somebody is doing some of that housekeeping for you and a lot of the filtering. Uh, a lot of people are sharing machines at home because that's just how they have to do it. So if you look at the things that we see, you know, everything from scams and phishing uh, all the way to malicious domains, you know, data harvesting malware, there's just a lot of these things that uh, just become more prevalent because of the dispersion of endpoints and uh, the, the inconsistency with which some of them will be managed. Uh, for some organizations, uh, actually many just blindness as to what the size of their estate is and what information, you know, what, what what assets on their estate are are polling and tuning, uh, and just the velocity of development. That means that when people make a well-meaning mistake, the blast radius from that mistake can be pretty significant. So, you know, as people are working in much more distributed ways, they just there's just more room for error across multiple places that can lead to things like, you know, account takeover, you know, somebody stealing keys and then, you know, taking over some instances in the cloud, exposing them to the world. Uh, and it, it just means that you have to think differently. This is the reason why technologies that are moving towards zero trust and other capabilities that don't implicitly trust and verify always in terms of network connections, uh, application connections, are going to 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 become uh, just much more prevalent in their approach. Yeah, I, it's it's really crazy to think about all the different areas of security that we really need to focus on. Uh, what would you say is a critical trend that we may not know about that IT and security practitioners should be paying close attention to in the next year ahead? Uh, I think the 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 key thing that folks need to pay attention to is what's the cost of complexity in the environment. Um, and uh, I think simplifying is going to become really cool. And the organizations that are most effective at simplifying will win. Now, when I say simplifying, I don't mean just take stuff out. What I mean is when you design things in a way where the most secure way to do something is also the simplest way to do it, you actually increase the security of your organization substantially. Uh, and this is this is really, it's not easy to do. It requires a lot of thinking. It requires hu good human principles design in the way you think about how people interact with technology. But the payoff is actually immense. Uh, because if the, the most secure way to do something is the hardest way to do it, then people follow the path of least resistance and you get all sorts of stupid stuff going on. Uh, when you make the most secure way to do stuff the simplest way to do it, you actually build a reinforcing mechanism that makes things more secure. And so I think a lot more organizations will take a pause and take a step back and say, geez, what lessons have we learned from uh, pandemic and all this disruption? I think they'll learn the lesson of resilience. They'll learn the lesson of flexibility and simplification in the way I just described. That's brilliant. No, I... <laughs> Actually, makes me think of this. Uh, you know, there's this picture about security, and it's got a, a road, you know, with fields on either side, and there's a gate, you know, on the road, 
And it's mm-hmm. like, this is security. <laughs> Literally, there's just yeah. a path where people have driven around the gate where it's like, well, well you know, there's no, no reason to deal with this gate when you can just drive around in the dirt. It's much easier. Now, I do love the idea, though, that, that design thinking and that really human-centric design approach uh, is making its way into security because, candidly, it's one of those that I think has been uh, – it was one of the things that slowed down a lot of projects around AI and ML in business was, you know – Yes, it's cool that you can predict something, but how do you make, you know, that prediction useful, valuable to a human in the loop in the process and thinking about the way that it impacts their decision making, I think is incredibly critical. You know, we, we see that there's a, there's a ton of, uh, you know, kind of publications and analysts, um, you know, statements about who's leading the way in security. Now, see Splunk, you know, really has a lot of energy and a lot of momentum in the security space. I, just from your perspective, you had to distill kind of what makes Splunk uh, so energetically powerful in this area. What would you say that is around uh, around security and what's really driving Splunk's uh, success there? I think Splunk uh, has always had an ethos that's very, very blue-collar and user-centric. We are about the practitioner uh, and because we're about the practitioner, we've built up a tremendous community. And, and that community, uh, you know, ends up reinforcing the learning and the value that comes from uh, playing this team sport called security. Um, and, you know, so as people are able to go deep in terms of solving a whole lot of use cases, people are able to see that they can improve and learn. Uh, it just continues to draw, draw people to, to that well where they can continuously refresh their knowledge. Uh, you know, I, I would, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention uh, an example of this would be, you know, Boss of the Sock uh, which, uh, and, and Boss of the Knock, which are just these capture the flag games that allow people to get immersed in a learning process around how to use Splunk for security and, you know, just some very enriching games that people are able to play across multiple use cases. I'm excited about talking about that kind of stuff, and I will talk a little bit more about it at Conf in my super session. But I think that uh, you know we 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 end up having thousands of people play their teams right now, rehearsing uh, and playing and practicing just so that they could have a good Conf. And every time they practice and rehearse, they're getting better at solving real problems that they will encounter inside their environments. And that actually ends up being such a valuable reinforcing loop. So it's the power of the community, it's the power of the flexibility, uh, and the fact that people are continuously challenged to learn and open their minds to new stuff that they can do. Absolutely. And we'll be sure to include uh, links in the show notes for everybody that wants to participate in the Boss of the Knock and Boss of the Sock uh, at .com. There's still time to uh, sign up because they haven't quite happened just yet. So click those links if you want to participate because they are incredible learning experiences. Well, beyond Boss of the Knock and Boss of the Sock, I, I hear you're leading one of the uh, one of the super sessions. Uh, what else are you excited about for .com this year? What are the things that you're you're excited to have the, uh, the community hear and see? So the thing that I... I feel is so valuable about .conf is the fact that people come and learn and they learn through just some fabulous, fabulous examples, mostly told by customers about how they took Splunk and did something really cool with it. And we want you as your, uh, we want our customers and our partners to be the superheroes. And we're just a small part in their story uh, in terms of empowering them to go do some amazing stuff. So when you, when you listen to people talk about a problem that they were able to solve, how they were able to make their organization better, make a difference, 
whether it's dealing with the pandemic or uh, understanding, you know, uh, how to manage COVID, uh, uh, you know, data around, you know, some particular metric, uh, or it's just understanding how people are collaborating, you know, knowing if your tools are down or not. There's just so much stuff that people come in and talk about. And half the time, you know, I'll listen to a session and I go, geez, I, I, I never, I never thought of that. How creative. And wow, I never thought of that. How creative. And, and that's just, that's just what's so beautiful. There's some fantastic examples about how customers have moved to the cloud successfully and simplified their, their, their monitoring and posture with, with Splunk. Uh, uh, we'll talk a little bit about how we're unifying security operations more successfully. And we know that our customers are at multiple stages in their journey. So for us, this is just a, a very enriched learning experience. Uh, and because this is going to be a virtual conf, it's going to be open to everyone. Uh, it's going to be the first time you can get to conf without paying uh, you know, a big amount of money. And so we're, we're really excited about just how open and participatory it's going to be. Absolutely. Well, I, I am super excited that hopefully you get a chance to see the crazy fun things that we've done with this virtual race to conf. And we're super excited to have you join us for this podcast as part of that uh, incredible event and series of races. Albert, it's been super fun to have you on the uh, conversation. I do want to invite you to hang on for one second because we want to join you, have you join us in a section that we like to call rapid fire. We've learned a lot about our guests today, but now it's time to get a bit more personal in a segment we like to call Rapid Fire. All right, Albert, let's get started with Rapid Fire. Let's ask, what is the most productive thing you have done during this pandemic? Teaching my five-year-old son how to read. Oh, that's awesome. That's very cool. It's a lifelong skill. <laughs> well, speaking of reading, what would you, is there a book that you've been reading or that you've really enjoyed reading lately that you'd recommend to our listeners? Uh, there's a book called Atomic Habits by James Clear, I think. Um, it's really about how to pick up good habits and retain them. So that's a really? good book to read. We all need more of those coming out of the pandemic. I'm sure we've got some good habits and bad habits. Are there any uh, shows that you're watching now to keep yourself entertained? Oh, short answer, no. I, I don't actually watch TV at all. That's, see, you've already got good habits. Good for you. Is there, <laughs> in this, uh, is there currently a piece of technology that you are just in love with right now? You're super high on a piece of technology? Uh, so that would be my Apple Watch. Yep. And the reason is because it makes me use my phone less. That is so good. 100% agree. Now, we clearly haven't been traveling nearly as much uh, <laughs> during the pandemic. So once the world is, is open for travel, where's the first place you're going when we can travel free again? Ah, so we, we want to go to a dark sky observatory okay. so that we can actually look at the Milky Way. And uh, so no idea where. So just uh, I'm interested in ideas. If there are comments in your podcast, I'll look to see if there's some suggestions. <laughs> we'll <laughs> certainly look to get some of those for you. Now, what's the best place for folks to follow you on social media? Are you active in social? Uh, so, I, I, uh, so I'm only uh, on Twitter. Uh, I post fairly infrequently. Mostly I follow cyber stuff. Uh, but when I do, uh, uh, you can find me at ABGenX. So 
uh, that that's my Twitter handle and uh, uh, usually into cyber stuff. Perfect. Well, Albert, it has been awesome to have you on the Big Data Beard podcast talking all things security with Splunk these days. And we certainly encourage folks to check out Albert's Super Session during Conf in just a few days away. Thanks again for listening to the Big Data Beard podcast. Thank you for listening to the Big Data Beard podcast on our virtual race to .conf 2020. For more information and to see all of the virtual race content, check out bigdatabeard.com forward slash br2c. Special thanks to our partners, Splunk, Dell Technologies, Red River, Hippo Digital, Intel, Arrow, and McLaren.